Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Joined today, she's a type 1 diabetic, American Ninja Warrior, pro dancer, keynote speaker, executive director of Type 0 Foundation. It's Christina Martin. How are you doing today, Christina? Hi, Alex. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm so excited to be here. We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your Rise to the Challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? I am a native of Florida, have not ventured out far from that, (laughs) Um, but grew up uh, here in Orlando, Florida, where I live now. Um, And let's see, uh, I was, well, I was diagnosed with type one diabetes when I was 13. And I'd say that that was the beginning of the journey. Growing up in Orlando, jealous, because that's usually my family's like favorite place to go on vacation is Orlando, trying to go to all the theme parks. What about Orlando did you enjoy? Was it like the things that they offer, the environment, the nice sun, weather, and things like that? Orlando is, uh, yeah, Orlando is cool because there's so much to do here. And if you are uh, trying to, if you are a creative person, you're trying to be an artist or a dancer, or an actor, performer, um, there's so much here to do. Like, you know, when it comes to like Disney World and working there, Universal. Um, but yeah, I mean, this, this is a vacation spot for a reason. <laughs> there is never anything to run out of doing here. <laughs> you talked about the artistic and creative side. Did you find that at a young age in yourself? Yes, I started dancing when I was eight years old. And I remember um, I was going to a pool store with my mom, she was getting like items to help clean her pool. And next to the pool store, there was a dance studio. And I could hear tapping from outside the glass was black, and I couldn't see anything. But I like begged my mom, like, can we go in? Can we go in? And that was the start of dancing. I've literally danced uh, forever since then. Was tap dancing the first kind of style of dance that you started out with, or was it a different style? I actually started with ballet and growing up, I took, um, I took as many styles as I could. So I took ballet, tap, jazz, acrobatics, contemporary, lyrical, hip hop. I took everything. Um, and I was always in the studio growing up hours upon hours a week. Um, now I currently am a professional dancer in hip hop and I used to dance professionally with contemporary, which is near and dear to my heart. (laughs) Fun fact about me. I actually took hip hop for one year. No way. Yeah. I had a friend in high school where they needed guy dancers and I'm horrible at dancing I'm like I'm one of those like let me just dance at home and she they are like you don't have to pay for anything you just have to join and I'm like okay what's the worst thing it was actually the most fun I've had I mean yeah thinking that I'm a horrible <laughs> dancer I'm not as bad as I thought I was hip-hop hip-hop too is like one of the easiest styles to pick up I find especially if you're starting as an adult um you, yeah. So, I mean, I, I always recommend it. It's so much fun. Yeah. You, it's, yeah. The, it's such a, we all can dance. We all can dance. It's, <laughs> it's, it's great to get yourself out there to try something new. And one of my favorite parts about dancing is that it's a great way to share uh, how you feel and to tell stories in a way that you might not be able to like with words, you know? It's basically kind of like a song without the lyrics. If you took like a song and you're just watching the people dance in um, the music video, it's kind of like that style. You can still understand if there were words, but the emotions that dancers bring, because it's all about that 
facial Mm -hmm. uh, expression reaction. Would you say that's similar? Yeah, 100%. It's yeah, you are what we what we tell new dancers all the time, especially kids is you are an actor, you're just doing it without the speaking part of it. Did you do more competitions or more show base kind of like, were you in that competitive field? So when I was in high school, I got to do competitive dance. I was on, uh, I was on the Dazzlers, which is a uh, nationally well-known team in the high school um, sector of things. So that's what, that's what, that's really where I got to um, experience competing, which is really fun, especially mm-hmm. if you know how to do it the right way, of course. Um, and competitions is something that I've done um, periodically um, as a professional dancer, as an adult. A lot of it is pretty balanced between competing, though, and um, and uh, doing shows, which I find to be fun. Um, but I have one thing that is really cool is there there's an Olympic level dance competition called Hip Hop International. Okay. And um, I've gotten to actually compete with the dance team that I danced with called the squad. And um, we've scored uh, third in the nation as one of the top three teams. Wow. Yeah, that's been really cool. And so I was definitely the first time that I got to be there as a type one diabetic. I was so proud. <laughs> Did, was it kind of like shocking to be on that kind of big level for that competition thinking I I'm here. Like, I'm shocked that I'm here right now. Yes and no, right? Like, (laughs) in a way, yes, because I was like, yeah, I I had a moment where I was like, wow, like, I never thought I would be here. And and that was really cool. At the same time, like, what I always say is that, like, when you, um, when you decide to step outside of your comfort zone and try something new, what happens is you kind of raise your own bar of what seems impossible. And so I have been doing that for years. So by the time I got to that competition, it felt like it was the step that made the most sense. But at the same time, I was having a hard time wrapping my head around like being there for sure. (laughs) As you're growing up, did you have anyone that kind of motivated you or was an inspiration in your life? For me, uh, well, for one, I can say my parents have always been supportive of what it is that I want to do. Um, and they've always pushed me to finish things that I start and, and accomplish as much as I can. When it comes to though, the things that I have accomplished in my life, I never really got to see anyone. I can say like really see someone who I was inspired by to do these things. Mm -hmm. And so what I was inspired by instead was that I wanted to be that person for other people, especially other kids who were dealing with diabetes as well. I had that similar thing. My mom was a huge inspiration because she's like, we have such a great relationship where she's always there in a second if I need to call her, unless she's working and then she can't answer the phone, but she's always there for me. But even as a diabetic, I was so afraid to be like vulnerable, but then I've been having the last few years being able to open up and share my story and be that impact. And then I receive these messages and it's just like, I just want a good fun community. Like that's what I feel the diabetic community is all about. It's just helping each other. Yeah. 100%. Yes. Having support is so underrated. Like we don't talk about enough how that can really impact someone when they're trying to 
accomplish whatever, overcome yeah. an obstacle in their life or with their job or with their health, a family member, but having that support and that the people who can just look at you and say, I see you. Yeah. That is so impactful. For people listening, Christina and I are going through similar stories with type <laughs> one diabetes. And actually, when you said the age, we're kind of we're the similar age when we both kind of got diagnosed. But talk about leading up to the f- diagnosis. What was going on? Did you know anything different? Things about your health? your actions, things like that. So when I was diagnosed, they told me that they couldn't have caught it any sooner than they did. So I am so fortunate that I don't have, um, such a difficult story. Like so many diabetics have where they talk about having gone into a coma, um, and and things like that. For me, um, I, about, I'd say a week leading up was where things start to get got things started to get a little weird for me. So I was, I remember one time where I was at the grocery store with my mom and I felt like I was just dying of thirst. I was like, why am I so thirsty? And normally like, you know, in the past I would have, as a little kid, I would have said, mom, I'm thirsty. Can I have a drink? And then she says, no, like, we'll have some, have something when you get home. And then I just like brush it off. But this time I was like, no, I like, I need something to drink right now. And I just really felt like I had to have something to drink. And she thought it was the weirdest thing. Um, And then what happened is when I actually, the day of my diagnosis, what happened is that I was at school. I had just gotten to school and I had had breakfast um, before leaving for school. And then when I got to school, I went and had breakfast with my friends because it was the cool thing to do. And they're all, you know, going, I want to hang out with them. And that basically sent my blood sugar really high. Of course, I didn't know at the time what was going on, but I got really sick. I was nauseous. I was dizzy. I couldn't really stand up. My sugar was as high as it had ever been for my little body to handle. And so I was then rushed to the hospital and that was pretty scary because I was by myself and my parents rushed from work to, to the hospital where they met me. And then I was tested for anything and everything all day long. And at the end of the day, that is when the doctor said that it was type one diabetes. So I, I had at the grocery store, I had been dealing with a high blood sugar and didn't know that. And they caught it as quickly as they could. But I mean, that was like really scary. I didn't know what was going on. And when I got the diagnosis, I also felt scared because I only you know, so many people, you know, this, you and I both know that there are so many stereotypes, um, that people have and believe about diabetes. And I definitely believe some of those as well. And so I just didn't know how to feel when I was told that I had this. I love when people still use the stereotypes and I've had it for 16 years and they're like, Oh, you can't eat that. I go, who said that can eat it? Like, yeah. And Looking at mine, where you talked about how it was not as like some people have majors. That was my story where I was in the hospital with bacterial meningitis. Half my face was going through a stroke and they didn't find I was in the hospital for a week. And then they're like, oh, you have diabetes. And I'm thinking, how does this happen? How do you just find it just while I'm here? And I kind of like, I'm glad they found it instead of me going back out and then coming back in. But I feel that there was nothing that, I mean, you talked about being thirsty and I'm 
even before even now i'm still that way where i'm drinking water like heavy but to me it's like oh he's just drinking water no one would ever know about um that i think that's another stereotype that people have on diabetes but i think it's one of those things where you're not prepared for it and it just starts changing now you talked about how you're a dancer did that play an effect with how you manage blood sugars, insulin, things like that? Yes. <laughs> oh my <laughs> goodness. Where to even begin? Uh, managing. Okay. So when, when I was first diagnosed pretty much all through the rest of middle school and high school, I wasn't, I had a hard time. I had a hard time uh, accepting the fact that I had diabetes and that that was okay. And that I wasn't like a bad person for having it, that Mm. I was still me and that I could still accomplish what I wanted to accomplish. So it made dancing really hard in terms of managing my sugars while I was dancing. I needed to be better controlled. And I, I didn't know this at the time, but I went through a period for a few years where I was definitely in burnout. Um, where I just didn't feel like there was anything more that I could do that I wasn't already doing, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was dealing with a roller coaster of blood sugars all throughout that time, uh, which was really bad. <laughs> now I can say that I have so much better control over it. Um, and, you know, a few years ago was really where I, uh, I, I changed the way I was doing things. So I, I, I got a different, I got a new insulin pump that functioned differently. And I had a continuous glucose monitor, as we know, which is a device that checks your blood sugar, right. Um, constantly throughout the day. And, um, and then the biggest part of it was that mentally I decided that I wanted to, um, do things a little differently and, and all of those components together really helped. So for me, what it looks like is, um, today I will (laughs) check my blood sugar, uh, about two hours before I'm going to do the physical activity. And then I don't, I try, if possible, I don't eat anything within that two hour window, because as we know, when you eat food, insulin takes about two hours to fully go through its journey with you. Yep. So yeah, so I'll, I will try to not have anything within those two hours. So I'm not impacted later when I dance. And then I do anytime I'm on a break um, during dance rehearsals, I'm checking to see what my sugar is. Uh, and that's what I should have been doing before, but I needed to uh, except <laughs> that this is what I had and that I could do something about it to manage everything better, I guess is how I would say it. But I totally agree that where it takes us not, you're not going to know the right way of doing it right away. It's like, we have to do those like trial and error kind of things where, oh, we're going to try it this way. If it doesn't work, we make adjustments because there's no perfect diabetic out there. No, there isn't. Some will say they are, but (laughs) no, especially the people on the internet. They're not all perfect. And that's where I'm like, talk about those struggles because we're all going to connect more if you talk about it because we can relate. But even like I was doing hip hop for the one year and I was a Mm. diabetic and that was a lot because my body, what I did sports, So my body was kind of used to physical activity in a way, but I'm carrying like Jolly Ranchers in my pocket. And I'm like, if I had to get off the stage, I'm like, hold on, you're going to have to wait. But if it was during performance, I'm like, (laughs) can't do this now. So yeah, 
it's a lot of trial and errors, I would say, right at the beginning for me. It is. You're, you're, you are your own scientist in an experiment that like essentially never ends. You just get better at dealing with the experiment and figuring out how it works. But yeah, that's definitely one of the most frustrating parts is that it, something may work one day and then not work the next day. And also when it comes to like exercise, our bodies do um, grow accustomed to what we're doing. So I've found that now at this point with dance, my blood sugars stay pretty stable for the most part. It might drop a little bit because that's what cardio a lot of times does to our bodies, but it was a lot different, um, when it was like a brand new thing for me. So (laughs) I'm sure if you stuck with it (laughs) a little bit longer, you'd have better management. (laughs) What's been the biggest thing that you've learned about yourself so far in your journey as a diabetic? Just, I'd say it's something that can be applied to everything else in life too, which is that there's always, there's always an answer. There's always more that we can do to get through a situation. Yep. And I had, yeah, I'd say that's probably the, the biggest thing. A lot of times we're dealing with the emotions of the situation. So it really feels like there's no way out. But I've learned that if you stick through it just a little bit longer, you will figure it out every single time. With the people in your life, how have they been able to help you manage or have you been able to teach them where they can kind of know what you're going through? Maybe if they see something different in behaviors and things like that, how has that played an effect? I would say my, so my family's been family and close friends have always been supportive of with the diabetes. They don't, they've never, they've never really necessarily helped because when I was 13, I was at an age where I was kind of old enough to like do these things, but not old enough to do them well. (laughs) So, um, so a lot of it was them going to appointments with me and just trying to support me as best they could and figure out how to parent me while also like, just being supportive, which was really hard for them. And I thank them every day for like doing the best that they could with that. Uh, one of the cool things I can say now, so I I have a husband, I got married (laughs) a month ago. I know. (laughs) Thank you. Um, and so his name is Jeremy and a couple months into our relationship, when we were brand new, just boyfriend and girlfriend, he had told me that he was interested he would have been interested in doing anything that would allow him to better understand what it was like for me to live with diabetes. And so I was like, so if you were under like some type of simulation, you would, you'd be okay with that. And he's like, yeah, I would do that. So (laughs) I waited until that conversation was long gone and I hope that he'd forgotten about it. And uh, this was, this was definitely to me, one of the coolest things that coolest experiences I had. I uh, was in collaboration with the diabetes community and with the college that I um, was attending at the time. And we got donated diabetes supplies and we got like, we got them a meter and everything. And I had a spare pump that I used to use in the past. And we basically put him under a simulation for two weeks as a diabetic. I know. And I, I did it. I did the whole thing. I wanted it to be as genuine as possible. So I we, the way we did it was I called him 
while he was like doing, he was like at work or something. And I told him, you have this diagnosis. Now you have type one, the same way that we would experience it. Cause it never happens at a convenient time. you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, um, the first thing he had to do was go to the hospital. And so, um, I spent hours teaching him about diabetes so that he could feel how overwhelming it is. And then he, you know, he had to learn how to do the injections. He didn't have actual insulin, of course, but okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, none of that. <laughs> Um, but he had to learn how to program things into the pump and he had to, you know, he had to change out the site and he had to learn the calculations for how many, yeah, carbs and food, everything. And that was one of the coolest things because now, now he, he, from that two week simulation, he understands diabetes better than anybody else in my life. And that's been amazing. So he has helped you know, in our relationship, he has helped plenty of times with figuring out calculations. We'll do them together. How many carbs are in this? How much insulin am I giving? He's helped me change out sites. Um, you know, the whole shebang, he's been absolutely an amazing (laughs) partner and support system when it comes to that. I like that because I always (laughs) think where, people think that they know what I need to do or how I'm supposed to be. And I'm like, you're not in my shoes. You're not living with it 24 seven where (laughs) I'm having these episodes and things like that. So you don't know how I'm going to react to certain things, but I know so many, I could think of a few friends, family that would need to do that because then they could really understand. And I love when you said he wasn't doing, I was like, I'm glad he's not putting actual insulin in his body. That would not be good. But I think the idea of doing that simulation is so crucial because then people that don't live with it understand it's, it's constantly changing 24 seven. Like, it's not like, oh, we just take a magic pill and we're good for the rest of the day. I yeah. think it's so, that was a smart idea. I like <laughs> thank that. you. Thank I you. like that. I got, I got a lot of support and help and ideas too, from other diabetics. Uh, what I would say too you know, living with diabetes, I know it can be really, really frustrating at times. And a lot of times we might say like, man, I just wish like this person would understand or the world would know, or like, would it, you know, maybe this person should, should deal with diabetes. I have to say that after the simulation, Jeremy and I sat down and really reflected on what this experience was like. And, um, one of the things we realized was, well, for me, as grateful as I was that he did it, I knew on a much deeper level, I didn't ever want him to have to go through what I go through every day. And so I was so grateful that he doesn't have to. And for him, he's like, part of the flaw is he knew that it was going to end at some point, you know, for him, it was going to end. And so it just, this whole thing was a reminder that, um, when people that aren't going through diabetes, uh, when we look at them, we might what's what it's about is them having an understanding as much as they can people Mm -hmm. like at the end of the day, I don't think that we can 100% understand anybody's situation unless we've lived through it and seen what it took to get them where they're at. But what we can do is at least slow down and try to understand as best as we can. And I think that that, that is what it's about. That's enough right there. You know? I agree. And I always tell my friends, I go, if you ask me questions, do it. I rather yes. you ask than not ask. And then we are in a situation and you don't know what's going on. 
And I always tell my friends, I go, this is where my insulin is. This is where it's in my bag, blood sugar, call 911. Like I'm telling them all the things to do when they're with me. And a lot of them that I've been friends with for so long, they know they're like, they can kind of see a behavior in me. And they're like, are you good? Do you need to check your blood sugar? That's when I know that they care and stuff because they're asking those questions in those moments. And even family, I mean, even if I'm feeling fine and something seems off, like my mom always will say, if I'm slurring my words or I sound like I'm drunk on the phone, she goes, is your blood sugars all right? Because that's usually I'm low at that time because that's usually how I'm acting. But then I'm like, no, I'm fine. But then I'm just on the phone testing my blood sugar real quick to just do it. So she feels comfortable. Um, Talk about a big moment. American Ninja Warrior is a fun (laughs) show that people talk about every day and you see it on TV. And I've had one per a couple people from American Ninja Warrior on the show. How was that experience? And how did you want to get involved in that opportunity? That fun opportunity, I will say. When uh, there was a point in time uh, where I was looking for a new job at the time. And so I, growing up as a dancer at like in early adulthood, I had the opportunity and also as a teenager, I had an opportunity to like get to teach it a little bit, which was really cool. So I, I was a dance teacher at this point and I was like, okay, what else can I find? And I saw that there was a ninja gym, a place that was going to train people for American Ninja Warrior. And it was a brand new gym and they were looking for coaches And this was a moment where I was like, okay, I'm not at all qualified for this, but I'm going to apply anyway, because why not? Let's see what happened. And it actually, I mean, it was definitely the start of the American Ninja Warrior part of the journey. They brought me in as a coach because they valued the fact that um, the fitness world is so, unfortunately, still so male dominated. Mm -hmm. And so they saw the value in having me as a female coach and having my background and everything. And they liked the fact that I was a dancer. So my differences worked to my advantage in the situation. And I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't applied. So I got the job and I was a kid's coach. So I was teaching kids how to prepare for the show one day. Yeah. Which was really, really fun. And then I I got to learn about how it works in terms of applying for this show. And so when you apply, you have to basically create a three minute video clip and they don't tell you anything else other than that. So you don't know like <laughs> what are they looking for? None, none of that. So I put together my three minute video and then I had an application, which took a couple hours to get through. And then I had to submit that. And originally when I went into it, what I was interested in was seeing if I could create uh, a, a platform for awareness on a large scale like this. But at the same time, I didn't expect to get it. It was, again, it was just something like, well, let me apply and kind of see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, when I applied though, I have to say that there was a moment right before it was time to uh, press the submit button on my application. And I tell people that I was lingering over the button for a while. And it wasn't because I was afraid of what would happen if I got rejected? Because at the end of the day, like we, we understand how to deal, like rejection sucks, but like we, we kind of take it in stride. We move on. Like we know what happens, but we don't know what happens with success. A lot of times it's a gray area. So I was afraid of what would happen if I actually got it, but I'm so glad I did (laughs) press the submit button, got to do the show. 
and um, definitely one of my favorite and favorite experiences ever. I mean, it was an incredible honor to be there. Um, and I didn't even realize until I was there that I was the first female with type one diabetes to make it onto the show. So that, I mean, that was, that was amazing. That's awesome. (laughs) Did you only do one season or try out for one season or did they ever say to bring you back for additional seasons? Uh, I did season 11. I only did the one season. Yes. Um, and I do want to go back again. So they do require you to apply every time. And so I know, um, and when I, um, after the show, when I got back home, that's when I started to get calls to speak on stages and tell my story. So it was, it was one of those things where people were like, Hey, we love your story. Can you come on the stage and like, tell it? And so I, this is why I say, like, I accidentally got into public speaking. It was never an intentional thing. I was just told to tell my story. And now it's become like this, this big thing. So at this point, I really want to go back. um, And I do plan on applying again, uh, either end of this year or next year um, to do better than I did last time and represent us T1Ds well. Yes. Yes. (laughs) We'll be just cheering you from (laughs) literally my living room just cheering (laughs) which obstacle did you like and what was a hard obstacle that you faced even in training (sighs) or even in the qualifier yeah okay okay um so one of my favorite obstacles is also the one that I'm scared of the most (laughs) (laughs) so for one balance obstacles are great um using my dance background, I usually I'm able to, to tackle those, overcome those. And, and those are great. Those are great. My favorite obstacles are anything that involves a technique called a lache. So the way a lache works, it think of it as monkey bars, but on steroids. So you're hanging from the bar and then you have to swing your body. You have to let go of the bar mid swing and you have to grab another bar that's several feet yeah. away. Yeah. <laughs> so we see it all over the show. And I, the feeling of doing the lache and flying through the air and catching the next object is so thrilling and it feels, it feels amazing to succeed at it but I'm also the most scared. And that's usually where I get really in my head and I have to get out of that. <laughs> so American Ninja Warrior is 50% physical and 50% mental, which oh, yeah. is kind of also like life. <laughs> <laughs> See, I look at that obstacle and I'm like, well, I'm just going to fall in water, but like, you don't want to get wet during this time. <sighs> you want to be able to hit that buzzer, but you talked about that event or that um, obstacle. And I, I love those events because I used to watch a show called American Gladiators and they had yeah. the rings hang tough. And I would be on monkey bars when I was younger and I'm like trying to do the same <laughs> movements and stuff. And it's just so much fun. I feel like I see when I first saw the show, probably season one, or actually I saw the, like the Japanese version before it became popular in America. And I'm looking at these events. I'm like, okay, this looks like a kid's playground. Like this looks like so Uh much fun, but I know (laughs) I'm going to get there and it's going to be a lot harder because I'm not physically there. But even like the quintuple steps, I mean, to me, it just, they're like, 
oh, let's make them farther apart. Oh, let's make the platform smaller so people have a hard time. Let's make them swing on a rope to get to the next thing. Like, like they are coming up with new things every single season, it seems. You know, you know, the hardest part, too, is that they don't, as a competitor, they don't tell you what the obstacle is until like 30 minutes before you do it. So you can, yeah, I mean, we train you have to train pretty regularly for this sport, but you don't even know what the course is going to look like. So that definitely adds to the nerves. And what it is, this, what is so scary about it is that we have a little voice in our head that always, that will tell us like, don't do this. Don't let go. Don't step forward. You're going to fall. And I, I just really think that those are all habitual voices that we're just used to hearing from the time we were little kids. So it's so hard to overcome that and and go against it. (laughs) You mentioned earlier that women were up and coming in American Ninja Warrior. And now you see nowadays where you see a commercial and it's mostly halfly women because these women are doing spectacular things. Do you feel that when you were initially on it was kind of, the, you kind of were the start or it was the start of building something new because you were the first type one diabetic, but especially the first type one diabetic female to do the show. Um, I, at the time I wasn't even, I didn't even realize that I was the first of anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel that I've being outside of it. Now I see that, but I definitely didn't go into it. Like oh, I want to be the first at this thing. Um, I just knew for me, it was so important to bring awareness to diabetes. And I knew that that was essentially my why. Uh, I learned that through taking risks and trying new things. You know, my purpose here is to teach people about diabetes and to also to empower them to accomplish whatever it is that they want to do. So I've just gone forward, pretty tunnel vision to do those things. And then along the way, I'm finding out, oh my gosh, you're this, you're this, you know, (laughs) but definitely American Ninja Warrior as a sport um, has, has been very welcoming to women, which has been amazing. The sport originally wasn't created for women, really. It, It just wasn't in terms of like physicality, muscular endurance and those kinds of things. But now, um, they have kept both men and women's physical bodies, um, in mind when they're creating the courses, which has made it more realistic and doable for everybody. So are you going to get Jeremy to do it with you one year? (laughs) So Jeremy, Jeremy, Jeremy loves this more than I do. Let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he loves this. So we train together every week at um, a ninja gym that we have nearby us. And he's usually more excited and motivated than I am. Yeah. And actually just before COVID, we had both applied together. We were hoping we were going to be able to go as a couple together. And then, um, he actually did technically get the call, which is what we know as like, when you've made it onto the show, one of the producers will call you. So he had a producer call him and then COVID hit. Oh, no. <laughs> I know. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see. He, he, as much as he loves the sport, he's not necessarily interested in competing from a show aspect or competition standpoint. It's just a lot of fun for him, but he's, he is a natural at this. As a type one diabetic, we're usually asked, oh, we can't do this. We have challenges and everything. Looking at all the things you've done, is there anything fun out there that is like, I want to accomplish this? Anything you're saying, is there anything that I haven't done that I I have my eye on? 
Oh, um, right now I'm really trying to use my opportunity and platform as a speaker and I'm trying to grow that. And that has been, um, one of the most fun and yet difficult challenges (laughs) that I have faced. Yeah. Because it really does involve putting yourself out there and, um, there's a lot of work, you know, I think that a lot of times when we see people end up on TV or do something really successful, we think, oh, they got it all now. I'm sure they're living in a big house and they're wealthy, but there's so much work that goes into getting those next things and building the momentum. There's been a lot of hard work on my end when it comes to, to getting these events and everything. But that's the biggest thing is, um, speaking on stages and trying to speak to larger groups of people to really make a difference and, and get people accomplishing the stuff that they want to be doing and, and figuring out how to get there, you know? As the executive director of Type Zero Foundation, how did that opportunity come about for you? So if we rewind a little bit back <laughs> to when I was diagnosed with uh, at 13. So when I started high school, I I had known up until this point that I wanted to make a difference somehow. I wanted to teach people about diabetes, but I wasn't really sure how to do this. And so my, me and my best friend, Juliana, at the time, uh, we were both dancers on the dance team and we decided to start a club. And so the idea was that the kids would go every week and we would all meet together. We would teach them about diabetes and we would also teach them how to dance so they became dance classes. And the reason was because we wanted diabetes to be seen in a more positive light. We didn't mm-hmm. want it to feel so negative, like it tends to feel. And so what we didn't expect was for this to create a really tight knit community of people, of kids who really were supportive of one another. It was the first time I got to meet other diabetics. I had to, I created the opportunities to do that. And that became the catalyst for type zero. Our, when type zero foundation was started, I knew that as great as it was that we were reaching out to kids, I really wanted to, I really wanted to help the entire family system. So making it a nonprofit was the best next step And our first board of directors was a group of high school kids, all kids wow. who understood this mission and said, I really want to help this dream to come true. I'm that was, that was amazing. I'm incredibly proud that we were able to go from that to what it is today, where we have these programs in place to, to help these families. Has the program stayed kind of in the United States or has it gone international? Oh man, ask me that again in a few years. That's the goal. (laughs) That is the goal. Um, we support central Florida families right now. We have a really tight knit, um, community with central Florida. And so our goal right now is to take the programs that we have. So we have, um, a program where every month we have different, uh, outings and get together. So families can be together and have that everyday support. And we also have a mentorship program for people who don't feel confident about their diabetes or are were recently diagnosed and a dance program um, where we tell stories about diabetes through dance and build awareness. So the goal is to take these programs and duplicate them in communities around the country that don't have anything like this. And then eventually, yes, um, for it to be uh, international and, and really just really make diabetes something that most people actually understand and support each other on, you know? 
I love everything that you just said with what you're doing, because I think it's so crucial that it builds that community. And I've been grateful enough to, while doing this show, talk to other diabetics from other countries in the United States and hearing their stories and how the diabetes programs are not as big or there's not much education or much kind of that interaction going on. And I think it's time for that to happen. And hearing what you're doing, I feel it's going to happen. I think it's going to become bigger and you're going to get that big outreach because people are just going to be so supportive about it. And especially, I think the biggest thing I remember um, when prices started going up and everything that was hope going over in Europe, where the diabetic community got all together to get diabetic supplies and stuff for those countries. And it just shows how quickly people are able to help out. And I think what you're doing, it's going to get there. I'm excited to see what comes <laughs> the next few years and everything. Thank you so much. I couldn't do it without our volunteers that we have. We have so many people who have over the last several years now have really just given their all in and their passion to seeing this succeed and being able to um, help as many families out there as possible. So, I mean, I'm just humbled that, um, that there are people who want to help with this. And, and the greatest part too, is a lot of them are not even diabetic. They just yep. care deeply about the cause. So, yeah, I mean, I, I can't wait to see where it goes to every day is an exciting new day. <laughs> I think even the families, families that know someone that yeah. is a diabetic, a friend that has diabetic, I think that's so big. You talked about your platform and having that opportunity to be able to share your story. Is there an event? This is kind of a fun question. Is there an event, a speaking gig, something in that realm that is like a dream? I would say, I love this question. I would say it would be to be able to hold my own event. Mm -hmm. Um, where it would be essentially a getaway for people to be able to um, isolate from all of the distractions from the world and really focus on themselves, uh, whether it's with diabetes or without, focus on their diabetes, their health, and it be a really just empowering experience. Not only empowering though, but they would learn the tools Cause that's the other part is like, what are the tools needed to actually make these changes? I think so many people talk about, especially speakers, we talk about, oh, you can do this, you can do this, but then, you know, are we, do you have the tools and do you feel yeah. like you can begin applying it? And so I would love to be able to hold an event like that, where over the span of a few days, we're able to really dig deep and, and people are able to come back to the next event in a year or so and say, I was able to do this. I accomplished this. Um, and the other part of it is there are so many expensive things in the world. And I really just want people to be able to have something like this, um, regardless of what their income is, so that they can work to be where they want to be when it comes to that. So going on the fun question route, we, all, we kind of, I kind of mentioned it earlier about the Jolly Ranchers. What is your <laughs> go-to low blood sugar item? Oh my gosh. I'm really basic, Alex, when it comes to this. This is the one area of my life I love to explore, but not when it comes to this. Um, I just use glucose tablets yep. or apple juice, whichever is nearby. But I find that when I'm dealing with a low blood sugar, I don't, 
for some reason, logic is just not a thing for me. Like I've used things that were sugar-free trying to fix my blood sugar and then nothing (laughs) happens. And I'm like, what's going on? So I just, I'm like, you know, I need to stop being creative. It's either apple juice or glucose tablets. And then I just stick with that. My decisions on what I've picked have changed so much from when I was younger, when I start, when I was diagnosed at 10, Jolly yeah. Ranchers were the go-to because I hated glucose tablets. I'm like, I cannot eat chalk. And if people are listening, <laughs> have no idea what glucose tablets are. It basically is like a, like a cylinder chalk, basically texture, but with flavor. It's all sugar. It's just yeah. pure sugar. But yeah, yeah, you're right. It is like a, a chalk texture. <laughs> But you mentioned apple juice. I would get those big barrels of Hawaiian punch. My mom's going to laugh hearing this because she knows what I was. The big barrels of Hawaiian punch. And then I would be doing cosmic brownies, Oreos, (gasps) all these things. And then as I got older, I'm like, okay, I can't go too crazy because usually (laughs) I get them late at night and and my blood sugar is going to stay up. So I found cereal as like a protein cereal has helped so much because even after a workout, it has helped so much also to counterbalance going from high and then it's going straight down. And I always love asking these questions because (laughs) no diabetic is the same. We all have our routines, our items that we use. And it's just so fascinating. I mean, I've never done the sugar-free, but I probably have done it before thinking about it, but I can't remember a time, but I love that. Yeah. I think this is a good example of how diet, how, yes, we're all different. Every person is different and dealing with diabetes, the way we manage it and how our body responds to things is also different. So yeah, we're, we're all different in that way, but food is something that I, I try to never use. Sometimes it happens, but I try to never use it, um, to correct a blood sugar because food is just, it's, it can be challenging, especially like if you get impatient or, you know, and then if the, sometimes food takes a little longer because your body's trying to break it down. So it takes a little longer for you to like feel better. So I personally, yeah, I just, I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to be as basic as I can about this one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Even I just remember when you said that it's like, I would eat like chocolate and then I'm like, it's not going up enough bag of chips. Here we go. And it's like, it's so true. And it's just, going to the moon right now. Yeah. (laughs) Looking at the future, what are you hoping to accomplish in the next few years, both personally and professionally? We kind of mentioned a little bit, but is there anything else, but personally and professionally? Yeah. So professionally it's, I want to be able to fully be a motivational speaker and make that the thing that I'm able to really um, fully invest my time and my life. And, um, and then with type zero foundation, um, you know, growing that and, and helping as many families as we can, it's really the, about those two things, the most from a personal standpoint, I would say, well, now that I'm married, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, Jeremy and I really, we want to build the life that our future children will be proud of. That's been a really big thing for us. Um, so we are taking each day, one day at a time, um, trying to grow ourselves in our relationship to be the best partners that we can be and, you know, best in our career as we can be. Um, I would say 
Yeah, those are, those are, <laughs> I hope that answers your question. That's like my biggest thing right now. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, when I ask that question, everyone, it's not like there's a, a strict answer that someone, everyone has different things. They might've accomplished what they wanted to already and they don't know what's next. And I think that's, what's so great about that question is I can say, okay, this is where I, this is a goal of mine, but then I can look back at this interview and say, you mentioned that you wanted to accomplish this. Now you got to go do it. Oh, it kind of gives me, gives, yeah, the accountability to do it. And because I even remember when I did, when I got interviewed and I'm like, okay, whatever I say, I have to make sure I'm accountable because if I say I'm going to do it, I got to go do it. And I have been accountable of it. I mean, yeah, I got to remember what I said in it, but <laughs> I'd remember. I'll have to go back and listen to this in like a year. What I can add though, what I can say is um, I've been working on, cause so like f- for a while, I'd say ever since I graduated high school, I've been so focused on like building my career. I've been so career driven that I realized once the wedding came around, I realized that my friendships with my closest friends, that they, that we never really like jumped over the wall of like actually being vulnerable with each other. And Mm -hmm. that's been another thing is like, one of my focuses now I can say is to build as many meaningful relationships around me as I can, because that is, that is really where I feel happiness, um, fulfillment. Like that's a huge part of that is feeling like you have these meaningful relationships and support, you know? Do you feel going through the challenges with diabetes has maybe helped getting that vulnerability to showcase to your friends? Because I know for me, when I'm telling them about my struggles, it's kind of showing a different side of me that they haven't seen before. And you kind of see that they actually know that they mean something because I'm willing to tell them the things that I'm going through. Yeah, I do think that having anything in your life that is difficult for you to go through that when you share that with other people, that that can really help um, to foster a level of vulnerability that you need to have a meaningful relationship with them. It's all in how we see it, right? It's all in the presentation. So if we feel like this thing we're dealing with is um, the worst thing ever, and that we'll never get through it, then that's never going to come across um, in a great way to other people. But you know, if we see it as like, Hey, this is, this is just what I have. I'm me, but this is what I have this is what I deal with. And this is how I get through it. People will see you as being incredibly strong and they'll want to be a part of it with you and yeah. support you. Right. The final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge? <laughs> The first part of accomplishing whatever it is that's holding you back right now is to first remember that if you give it a little bit of time, you will figure out how to get through this. That is the first thing. You are never permanently stuck. Yep. You have to then look and determine what your why is. Why is it that you wake up in the morning? Why do you do what you're doing? Why are you listening to this podcast? Why are you doing this? Because when you can figure out what your why is, then you can begin to live in that. You can begin to take risks and step outside of your comfort zone and do things that support it. And you're going to feel great. You're going to feel great doing that. Figure out what your why is because you deserve to know 
what it is. So many people go through life never knowing what it was that they were supposed to be doing, what felt real and raw and felt like them. And they were not fully living that. You deserve to find out what that is. Learn what it is, live in that, and you will be able to overcome anything. On your deepest, darkest days, that is what will get you through. You can do it. You deserve it. And I believe in you. Love it. Christina, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Thank you so much for having me again. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow, subscribe to all major audio platforms and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to see the following episode in video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.